Good morning, everybody. Would you look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see you this morning. Glad you're sitting next to me. It's good to have you close. Good to have you close. Well, I'm going to uh, begin in Genesis chapter 1 if you have a Bible. Hang out there a minute and then go absolutely all over the place. I hope you guys like the Bible because I'm going to read some of it this morning. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and jump into it. The past few weeks, we've been talking about the mission that God has for His church. We've, we've talked about a missional mindset. We've talked about how God, like Moses, takes us out of Egypt gets the Egypt out of us and sends us back into broken places where people are in bondage in order to bring them back out of it. And so church is not just simply about coming to a place on Sunday to hear a good message and sing a few songs, but the church of Jesus Christ is the people of God filled with the Spirit of God to continue the work and mission of Jesus Christ in the earth. Amen. And so we're trying to figure out what that means, and we're trying to become those type of people that have a missional mindset on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And so uh, before we begin, let's just pray over the Word of God here, and let's, let's just invite His Spirit to do what He wants to do this morning. Lord, I trust that this morning you've already began to speak to the hearts of the people, God, that are, that are here in this room, and Lord, the people that are listening. And so Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come right now. And we ask you to minister to each of us, God, exactly what we need to hear. Lord, you're the one that teaches us all things. You're the one that guides us into all truth. And Lord Jesus, when we have hang-ups and we have bondages, Lord, you're the one that comes to break those things, to bring freedom into our lives. And so I pray that you would anoint your word, bring life to it, and give us ears to hear exactly what your spirit is saying to each of us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when you talk about the church... You know, there's a lot of things that you can remove from the church as we know it today. Amen. You can remove the stage. You could remove the pulpit. You could remove the building itself. You can take the chairs out and still have church because the church is the people of God filled with the Spirit accomplishing God's mission in the earth. That's who the church is. But one thing that you cannot remove from the church and it still actually be the church is the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost is the day that the church was born and Jesus Christ prepared His disciples to be filled with the Spirit so they could accomplish God's mission in the earth. And so we've been talking about the mission of God and I want you to understand that the, the Spirit of God comes on a very specific mission. One mission is once He gets a hold of your heart and you become a follower of Jesus is the Holy Spirit is absolutely and completely committed to conforming your life into the image of Jesus Christ. And He's going to do it one way or the other. He's going to do it in this life or he's going to do it in the next but he's going to make you like his son Jesus Christ which is good news amen but while he's living on the inside of you he's not trying to just lay dormant matter of fact Jesus would talk about the spirit coming out of your belly like like rivers of living water that's mean that means that there's something that he wants to bring out of you to flow into the world and so when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you he sends you on God's mission and he invites you to partner with his mission in the world so as we open up this this topic here I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 because I think it's important when you when you when you look at any topic in scripture sometimes it's important to look at the place that it is first mentioned there's a principle in scripture called the law of first mention and when you see something in scripture for the first time it sets a precedent for what that particular thing is involved in throughout your life throughout the rest of scripture so in Genesis chapter 1 you see the first mention of the Holy Spirit and here's what it says in verse 1 it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, you wouldn't assume that if God created the heavens and the earth, this is the first language that he uses, that it's without form, it's void, and darkness is on the face of the deep. But then it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, one of the reasons this is important is because the first mention of the Holy Spirit, you see the triune God at work as creator. How many of you believe God is creator? We believe that God designed all things, and in, all, in Him all things consist and are held together. And in creation, the Father spoke His Word, the eternal Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And as that Word goes forth from His mouth, also, just like us, when Word goes forth the breath goes forth from his mouth, which is the Spirit of God. And you see those three at work in creation. Why is this important? One of the reasons it's important is because when God created the earth and everything that's in it and he created human beings, what did he say? He said, this is good, this is good, this is very good. He looked at everything.
everything he created and he thought that it was good. Now, things are broken. Sin has entered the world. Death has entered the world. We experience bad things. Amen. Things happen that we say, man, this doesn't feel like God is involved in this. And when we think about salvation, what we think about is that God comes to save us from this material evil world to take us out somewhere in the clouds in a place called heaven to live with him for eternity. And then he just burns this place up in fervent heat. The scripture says that in the end, listen, all of the elements will be melted in fervent heat. But do you know what happens? He does not destroy the earth. He renews the face of the earth. What the Holy Spirit comes to do is not say the earth is bad. I want to take you out of it. Jesus returns in the end and we return with him as his people if we've gone to be with the Lord. And we return to a renovated, newly created heaven and earth that have joined and become one. So that means that we're not just going to float out in space. He's coming back to establish his rule and reign on this earth that is renovated and redesigned to the design that it was supposed to be in the first place. And heaven and earth are one and you and I are glorified to rule and reign with him forever. And that's good news because what that means is we're not just going to leave a bad world. It means that we're right now here to be signposts of the fact that one day Jesus is going to come and renew all things. And while we're here, we are supposed to be signposts of that renewal. And the Holy Spirit invites us in on his mission to say, hey, you see the darkness, you see the wasteland, you see the broken things. I want to raise those things up and I want to bring renewal. Amen. Matter of fact, in Psalm 104, verse 30, it says specifically, You send forth your spirit, they are created. Now, this is, he, did, he does this in the beginning at creation. He sent forth his word, and his spirit came, and there was creation that broke forth. But it also says, and you renew the face of the earth. Because when God speaks into the heart of lost souls, and the word of God goes forth into their heart, you know what the Holy Spirit does? He makes a new spirit on the inside of them, and they are created, and they are renewed into a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we often do is we separate holy spaces from unholy spaces, don't we? We say, well, God, God, if you want to get saved, I mean, I've even heard people say sometimes, you know, well, I, brother, I want to get saved. Well, we go to church on Sunday, we'll take you to the altar. Because, I mean, that's the only place you're going to get saved. Amen. Yeah. Or, or, or you'll, hear, you'll hear people say all the time, man, don't say that, you're in a church house. I, and I told them this morning, I said, crawfish is just as holy as the church house. Amen. Somebody give me a hand clap on that. My point being is that God is everywhere. All spaces are sacred. The Holy Spirit can show up in any place at any time. And He makes all things holy because He is the creator of all things. But you say, but Clay, I've been in some dark places, dude. I've been in some trap houses. I've seen where there's real darkness. I've seen where it's so thick that when you go in it, you feel the demonic. Can I tell you that even in those darkest moments, God is still in there hovering, waiting to move in the midst of that darkness to bring transformation. This is the God that we're talking about because the Holy Spirit is at work everywhere. Psalm 139 says, There is no place that I can go from your Spirit, no place that I can flee from your presence. If I make my bed in Sheol, even there I lift up my eyes and behold, you are there. Even the dark places are light to you, God. I read where one man said, St. John of the Cross, he said that God is nearest to us when we're most unaware of it. God is nearest to us when we're most unaware of it. Sometimes the darkness, I'm telling you, places in my life, I've hit the bottom and been at the darkest place, and that's when I've lifted up my eyes and found Jesus being the first thing in that moment. Sometimes it's when we feel like our lives are flooded with blessing and light that we're oftentimes even the farthest from Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is at work everywhere because he's trying to draw all people to him. I'm a believer. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but he desires all to come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. And I trust that because of the work, I don't know who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, but I trust that because that Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the world, his spirit is at work drawing the hearts of men and women and children to him, and he's wanting the, the, the church of Jesus Christ to partner with him in that work but see, you've got to understand, the Holy Spirit's never coercive. My pastor used to say that the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. You ever heard that one? Like, he come and knock on the door, but if you don't want to open the door, 
He's just he's saying, all right. Because the, God is a God who desires to be wanted. If you come to church and you say, all I really want this morning, Lord, is I want to hear the preacher and I want to sing a few songs and I want to leave unhindered. He'll say, okay, I give you that. But if you come in here and you say, Lord, I want you. I want an encounter with you. I'm desiring you. He's a God who actually asks to be asked for. He's a God who says to search for me with all of your heart, and when you search for me with all of your heart, then you'll find me. He's a God who wants you to come looking for him. He's a God that desires to be desired, and God comes where he is wanted. Doesn't, he's still everywhere, but he shows up where he's wanted. So the Holy Spirit comes and knocks. The Holy Spirit draws. The Holy Spirit woos. But he didn't force you to get up out of bed and come to church this morning, did he? He may have nudged you, but you had to take the step. Amen. And that's the way that the Holy Spirit operates. He leads, He guides, He convicts, He draws people, and they, through the faith that He puts in their heart, respond to the work of God in their life. And so the Holy Spirit also, not only is He at work everywhere, but He's at work in the chaos. And that's good news for us, isn't it? Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was without form, void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So you see that the first place that we find the Spirit of God is in a place that is without form, void, and darkness is on the face of the deep. Now, that Hebrew phrase, I know y'all love it when I give you Hebrew phrases and words, but it's tohu abohu, and it means, yeah, it hits, it hits, mm, it feels good. And it means without form and void is what it says, but the real translation is waste and wild, or complete chaos and obscurity. Imagine that. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the waste and the wild and the darkness and the obscurity and the brokenness. That's where he's currently hovering, waiting for the word of God to go forth. And this is what, even Caitlin was saying it this morning, because I think sometimes some of us, we come in here with brokenness. We come in here with darkness in our hearts. We don't even want anybody to come into the depths of our hearts. We see that things are going on. I don't even want people to know about this. And can I tell you, in that darkest spot in your life, God has has not removed himself from it. He's hovering over it. He's waiting for the word of God to come forth into it so that he can bring order to the chaos and he can recreate the things that are broken. This is why in Isaiah 61, Jesus says, he quotes it. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he sent me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to people who are beat up and having a hard time. It says he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And it goes on to say, to give them Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness so that we can take the old waste places and build them up and restore them and renew them so that you see beautiful things where there was once brokenness. Amen. Amen. So the good news is you can't hide from him. He's already there. And every time you feel an impulse, as the church of Jesus Christ, what we have to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is already at work. He's already everywhere. And listen, some, here's the thing. When you start talking about mission, number one, church people don't want to hear about it because we thought, hey, we think, we, I thought church was about me coming to church. I didn't realize he's going to ask me to be filled with the Spirit and try to go minister the gospel to somebody and go out here and love on somebody and reach somebody. I thought it was about church attendance. And church attendance is a wonderful thing. I thank God that we get together and he calls us together to celebrate and worship and hear the word and be strengthened and encouraged. But see, the missional mindset is that God doesn't give us the Spirit simply to have good church services. He gives us the Spirit so that we are filled when we meet together and our church service moves to the outside and we impact the world through what we have received from God together corporately. And so he sends us out on this mission to move in this direction. And anytime you sense, like a lot of y'all women know about this. If you're anything like my wife, she's all the time wanting the house cleaned up and wanting to add beauty to it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's how the Holy Spirit is, really. And sometimes it gets aggravating because you're just wanting to be a mess. Anybody amen me? Like sometimes I just want to sit here and be a mess. And be left alone. But God says, no, no, no. I got better plans for the world. I got better plans for your life. I'm not content. You may be content with your life being chaotic. You may be content with your life being a mess. But I'm desiring to make the world beautiful and renew everything broken in it. And so he, when, you, when you sense something broken and beat down and you say, I want to make beauty out of that. I want to see renewal in that area. It could be in your family. It could be in your, in your personal life. It could be in a relationship. But when you sense that, you are partnering with the Holy Spirit to bring renewal because the Holy Spirit is a helper. Yeah. 
John 14, 16, Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And I thank God that we've got a helper. The word there for helper actually is a Greek word that means it's one called alongside to assist me, counsel me, give me guidance, give me direction. And he's a supernatural assistant is who the Holy Spirit is. Because if you think you can live the Christian life without the supernatural power of God, you are gravely mistaken. I used to think I could do it. I used to think I could overcome addictions or overcome sinful patterns without the power. Just, just gird up your loins, try as hard as you can to be a good person. You will not change much, right? You, you may be able to pull it off on a good day, but ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who brings transformation in our life. And then when it comes to mission, Jesus was so adamant about it that he told his disciples, don't even go out yet, boys. Wait until the promise of my Father comes. Like he was so serious about the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he tells us about how this happens. Psalm 33, 6, he says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all of the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. In other words, God's Spirit is given marching orders by God's word. And what he's saying is, in the darkest places, church, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is hovering, wanting to do something. And you don't need to say, God, what, am I, what do I need to do? You need to ask God, God, what are you wanting to do? Because I want to partner with it. And if your Holy Spirit is hovering somewhere, I'm telling you, some of y'all, you think, man, well, I could probably reach this dude. He's already a pretty good person. The places that are the most dark and the places where you think cannot be reached is where the Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos, waiting for you to speak life and speak God's word into it so he can bring a new creation in the midst of it he's saying will you partner with me in this mission to bring new life and notice again how it works it says specifically that he's hovering now that word is only used about one other time in the old testament and in Deuteronomy 32 you see it notice what it says in verse 10 it says he found him in a desert land and in the wasteland a howling wilderness he encircled him he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing to you right now. In a wasteland and a howling wilderness. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers, there's the word right there. Same word used about the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1. Hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So he says, here's how the Holy Spirit's working. It's like a mama eagle hovering over its baby eagle eggs creating the ultimate environment for life to burst forth. And in that context, that eagle has to be gentle to protect it, to make sure they don't crack, they don't hatch before time. And even when they're born, the mama eagle is nurturing those baby eagles so that they can grow up into abundant life and ultimately one day fly the same way that she flies. So when we become Holy Spirit people, we actually... We actually flow on the wavelength of mercy and peace and gentleness. Can I tell you this? Not everybody's going to get saved instantly as soon as you share the gospel with them. And not everybody's going to get filled with the Holy Ghost and sanctified day one. They ain't going to kick their bad habits just because you say, hey, Jesus loves you. You need to build a relationship with them and be nurturing and be merciful and be gentle and pray for them and trust that the Holy Spirit will do His work in His time to transform who they are. This don't happen in a moment. Because we're, we're, we're microwave people anyway. I told Andre the other day, I think we're so busy, including myself, that we have a hard time being patient enough to be with the Lord long enough to actually allow Him to do a deep work in our hearts. We settle for superficial because we're so busy. And we've got to be patient. So we become Holy Spirit people when we're present like the Holy Spirit was in the beginning, when we're patient and when we become nurturing people, trusting that the Spirit is hovering over these dark places. And in the right moment, He will invite us into dark places to speak the right word at the right time in order for life to burst forth. And we have to be sensitive to that because He says that creation comes by the word of His mouth and then the Spirit comes behind it. The point being is He's saying, look, God, God is vulnerable. He could do anything. He could save every human being on the planet, but he has invited his church to participate in his mission. He's called us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And when we release God's word, the Spirit backs it up with creative power. So he's saying, I want you to go out and I'll give you the power to speak. So I want to move into just another different little context here because I think you need to understand, okay, where is the Holy Spirit currently hovering in my life? 
Where is he hovering in the lives of people around me? Where is it in the darkness that he's wanting me to minister specifically in order to bring transformation? Consider that, but also consider this. And I want to go back to what is the primary reason that we're filled with the Holy Spirit in the first place as the people of God. What does God give us the Holy Spirit to do? Now, I, I want to argue that there's a lot of different things that the Holy Spirit comes into our life to do, but I want to hit on one particular topic, but I want to introduce you to one of the primary reasons that God gave the church the Holy Spirit through a guy named D.L. Moody. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you've not. I got a picture of him. I said this morning he looked a little bit like Matt Langdon here in about 40 years. Uh, he, got, he got that beard like him. Uh, but D.L. Moody lived in the late 1800s, and he was a great revivalist, great evangelist in the United States and the U.K. Man, he saw thousands of people come to Christ. But by his testimony and the testimony of many others around him, they, they said that it would not have been possible, his ministry would not have been as impactful had it not been for two persistent Methodist women named Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow. So Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow... Two women come to a meeting where he's preaching at the YMCA one evening and they hear him preach and they come up to him afterwards and they say, we've been praying for you. And he says, well, what are you praying for me for? Why don't you pray for them to get saved? None of them are getting saved. And they said, no, no, you don't understand. We've been praying for you to get the power. He said, what are you talking about, get the power? I, I, I'm preaching here, you know. And they said, well, we want to talk to you about something. No, 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 don't, don't let what I'm saying uh, steer you off course. Just let, give me a minute to talk about it. They said, we want to talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so they went and they took him through Scripture. And he started reading about the disciples being filled with the Spirit. He, they read all the Scriptures about how John the Baptist said, I'll baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins, but one's coming after me who's mightier than I, and I'm not allowed to untie his shoelaces. And he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so he's reading that, and then he's reading the accounts in Acts, and he begins to pray, Lord, would you give me whatever it is these women are talking about. I want this power. I want to be filled with the Spirit. And he continues to pray. He fa he's fasting. He's seeking the Lord. And one day, now you would think he'd go to the altar, he'd have some kind of crazy experience or something like that in a church service. But one day, he's praying. He's walking down Wall Street in New York City. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls upon him. He has an encounter with God that's so powerful, he has to turn off into this guy's house that he knows that lives in that particular place. And he spends hours with the Lord in this room. And something changed in that moment in his life in the midst of his ministry. Amen. Here's what he says about it. He says, I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be as the small dust of the balance. Now, how would you like to have an experience with the Holy Spirit like that? I, I think I talked to some people, and some people were like, I don't, I, don't, I don't care about that. Number two, it don't fit into my doctrine. You know, I, so people can have all kinds of reservations on why they don't want more of God to come into their life and to use them. But I can tell you right now, I want more of the Holy Spirit, and I want the church to have more of the Holy Spirit because there's a reason we are not as effective as we could be, and there's a reason we're not all fulfilling the call of God on our lives, and it's because somewhere along the road we have filled ourselves with the things of this world, done the opposite of what we sang, and said, no, Lord, give me everything else, but just give me a little bit of Jesus. And D.L. Moody got to the point where he said, no, 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 Lord, I want absolutely everything you have to give me. If it rubs against my doctrine or my interpretation of the Scripture, I want to be so filled with your Spirit that you consume me with what you want to do in my life. And he had an encounter with God. Now, I, I want us all to have encounters with God like that. And I'll be honest with you, from my own personal story, I had an encounter with God quite similar. Maybe not the exact same because it was different for me in the fact that I was not yet preaching. Matter of fact, I didn't want to preach. If you told me when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, even 21, Clay, what do you think about preaching? I'd have said, it's dumb. Why would you want to do anything like that? Why would anybody want to do something like that? 
But you know what? I began to get convicted by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit began to knock on my heart. And slowly but surely, I began to open the door to Him. I, I started reading the Bible. I started praying. I started fasting. And I was addicted to drugs, to alcohol, sexual addiction, pornography, all of these things in my life that were holding me back, could not get set free from that lifestyle. I continued to seek the Lord, and all of a sudden, one day, in about a year of seeking the Lord, I'm in my bedroom in, in Lexington, and I cry out to God, and just like the El Moody experience the Holy Spirit came upon me is all that I can tell you and Jesus all of a sudden became real to me in a way that he had never been real before in my life and in that moment God is my witness my addictions were broken off of my life but I want to tell you the number one thing because for me this led me into a whole new life it led me into a whole new life. It, it, that's when I first got into, involved in church. It's when I realized I was called into ministry. Everything changed for me on that day. But the number one indicator for me that was, that was different is that I was afraid before that moment to tell anyone about Jesus. And after that moment, I was compelled to talk to people about Jesus. I came down from my, from my room. My sister and her two friends were downstairs. It was early one morning, and they thought me to be just a drunken heathen who was a crazy person. That's all they knew me as. And all of a sudden, the gospel starts to pour forth out of my heart, and I start sharing the gospel with them and preaching to them, and they think, man, what is going on here? Something weird has happened. But I was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now, some people would say, I've told that testimony in broader ways many times, and you get around theologians, and they'll say, well, brother, that was the moment of your conversion. You were saved in that moment. Hallelujah. You know, and then, and, then, and then somebody else will say, well, no, brother, that was when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Did you speak in other tongues in that moment, my brother? And, and, and then somebody else will say, well, no, you were saved before, but that moment you had an infilling from the Spirit. So here's my point. My point is this. Everybody in doctrinal denominations have different ideas and views of the Holy Spirit. And I got my own personal views. I, I, I do. And, 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 and there's different groupings and stuff like that. But can I tell you this about the Holy Spirit? One thing that He doesn't want us to do is to be divided over the dotted I and the cross T of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What he wants from his church is to be unified, be filled with the Holy Spirit for mission. So I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is saying, who cares what your doctrine is on this so much as are you currently filled with the Holy Spirit and on mission for Christ? That's what he's looking to do. So I think we need good doctrine. We need to come to the Scripture together and we need to get... Get, get it in our hearts, but we need to find what is going on. Now, one camp would say, like I said, they'd say, well, that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It comes after salvation. You're filled with the Spirit. You're empowered for ministry. Another group would say, well, no, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every Christian believer, but once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're initiated into the life of God, you're a Christian, and then you have many in feelings after of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, the Bible says, Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it speaks of it continually happening. Continually happening. Somebody else say hogwash. You get the Holy Spirit when you get saved and you don't get nothing else. You just go to church and sit on a pew. Amen. I'm going to tell you this, you get the Holy Spirit when you're saved, and whether you believe, whether you believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation or it happens uh, beyond salvation, I can promise you this, every person in this room, including myself, need more of the Holy Spirit. I believe that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. And Jesus discusses this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, let me say this, is a New Testament phenomenon. Say, so what do you mean by that? What I mean is in the Old Covenant, what you see is you see prophets, priests, and kings, and special individuals who are only in Israel are on occasion touched by the Holy Spirit and empowered for a work. And they see that happening over and over again. And every now and then, Moses got lucky one time, and some of the Spirit God took off of Moses, not all of it, but some of it, and put it on 70 elders. It come on a few people. But when Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, he's referring to Old Testament prophecy that one day, just like God said, in the last days, I'll pour my Spirit out on all flesh. Yeah. 
And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. He's saying no longer will the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be relegated to people in Israel or just kings or prophets or priests or special people. It's going to be to everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. And because they're baptized into that spirit, you are open to the full life of the Holy Spirit if you want it. If you want it. If you don't want if you are if you are content if you are content with your religious Christian life and staying right where you're at the Lord will let you stay right where you're at but he wants you to have so much more and he wants me to have more and so I want to I want to break this down because unity in the body of Christ doesn't mean we agree on everything every doctrine flawlessly matter of fact the spirit I want to say this never divides people if the Holy Spirit is at work, he, he works to unify believers and bring us together to empower us for transformation in our community and world. And so when Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure concerning the importance of the Holy Spirit in their life, in John 14, 26, he says this. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. In John 16, notice this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, boys, it is to your advantage that I go away. That is crazy talk, Jesus. You raise the dead. Everybody who touches your garments get healed. How can it be to our advantage that you go away? And he says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak speak and he will tell you things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you and then lastly in John 20 Jesus is raised from the dead he meets his disciples in a room because they are hiding in fear for the Jews and he says to them peace to you as the father has sent me I also send you that's mission is it not he said, I'm sending you on the same mission the Father sent me on to proclaim this gospel to the world. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, this is the means by which. Matter of fact, he didn't say, look, boys, I'm raised from the dead. You see my new body. Now go out in your own strength and proclaim the gospel. No, he said, I'm raised from the dead, but you still need to wait until the promise of the Father comes after I have ascended because the Holy Spirit is going to be the driving force which causes you to do what I've called you to do. So Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and your relationship with the Holy Spirit. He uses three specific prepositions. This doesn't seem important, but it is important. John 14, 16, he ends up using with, in, and upon. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. That means that if you're in love with the world, it's going to be hard for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Now he says, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what he's saying is, listen, the Holy Spirit, whether you like it or not, he has always been with you. You look back on your life, even in the darkest moments, the Holy Spirit is there. You lock him out, you say, I don't want you in my life, the Holy Spirit is still with you. He was with them in the beginning. He said, the Holy Spirit is with you and he shall be in you. The Holy Spirit is at work in the entire world, drawing people to himself, holding all things together, making this world function and giving common grace to all people, no matter how evil they are, no matter what you think about them, no matter what they did last week, he is extending common grace to all people, hoping to draw all people into the fold. He is with you, but see, he says there's a place that once you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you turn from sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you and takes up residence in you. But see, there's a third and final preposition that Jesus uses, and it's honestly probably the most ignored preposition. But in Acts 1.8 he says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he's with you, 
Then He's in you at salvation, but there are moments when He comes upon you to empower you for ministry. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, it's, it's a good thing you're saved and you're in the church and I thank God that the Holy Spirit lives in you, but I want Him to come upon you because I need Him to empower you to be witnesses unto me throughout the world. And if you're not currently moving into the mission of God, it may be because you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you in a new and a fresh way and empower you to do what you could not do before. Let me say this, the Holy Spirit is in me for my sake. He comes upon me for your sake. Amen. I had to think it was good. The Holy Spirit is in me for my sake. He comes upon me for your sake. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit resides in me on a daily basis, but it's not enough for Jesus to have a personal relationship with just me. He wants to use my life to take the gospel and the power of God and the message that Jesus brings to bring salvation and healing and deliverance and freedom into other people. And I cannot and I will not do that unless the Holy Spirit comes upon me in a moment of time to accomplish that mission. Amen. So the Bible talks a lot about the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, you see that they're looking for deacons who are full of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I want, their life, I want some men whose lives are characterized and marked by lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. He uses that term over and over again of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins in Luke chapter 1. And notice this. He speaks about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. See, this means that, I don't know if you understand this, not clumps of cells cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a baby in the womb of this, of this woman, and that baby is filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And it goes on to tell you the exact moment that he is filled with the Spirit. In Luke 141, it's, it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So notice this. You got Elizabeth pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the forerunner and the Messiah, they come into the same room carrying babies in their womb. And when John the Baptist senses that the Messiah has come into the room, he is filled with the Spirit because guess what? His destiny has just walked into the room. He is filled with the Holy Spirit for one sole purpose alone. And that is that one day he'll see the Messiah walking on the border of the Jordan and he will say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is why Jesus says there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. Why? Because every prophet before John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus, but they couldn't see him clearly. John the Baptist saw him in the flesh and pointed directly to him. And they said, This is the entire purpose of prophecy. This is the reason anybody in the new covenant is going to be filled with the spirit to point to jesus christ and say behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world see when you are filled with that purpose and destiny now notice this it says that elizabeth at that same point was also filled with the holy spirit somebody said well i didn't know women could be filled with the holy spirit you mean women can talk amen i'm sorry that didn't hit good but she was filled with the holy spirit and she also begin to prophesy about the reality of who Jesus was. Goes on, the, his mute father, Zacharias, in Luke 1.67, it said he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to prophesy about who John the Baptist was and the, tr and the person of Jesus Christ, who Jesus was. So the point is, is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we testify to who Jesus is and are filled with joy and purpose. Luke 24, 49, Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit. And he said, But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you, until you are endued with power from on high. Now he's using the language of the Old Testament with Gideon when it says that he clothed Gideon, or he put Gideon on like a glove. Amen. I want the Holy Spirit to put me on like a glove. That's what he's saying. He's saying the Holy Spirit will clothe you, clothe himself with you, and he will endue you with power to enable you to do what you could not do otherwise. And this is important because notice that Peter, I don't know about you, like when I talk, talk to people about mission, they're like, man, I'm afraid of that. I ain't going out and telling nobody about nothing. I'm the same way, y'all. I ain't interested in telling nobody about Jesus until the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. Something changed. In that moment. 
Peter had denied Jesus three times. He was hiding for fear of the Jews in an upper room. And they, they, they prayed and sought God for ten days. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you see people of all different languages coming in. And as they're speaking in those different languages, it draws people in to be united. And what does Peter do? The same people that he is afraid to speak to about Jesus, he boldly stands up and proclaims the Word of God because now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he proclaims that Word and 3,000 people are saved. But get this. This this point is important. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time event, but it's repeatable. Because in Acts 4.8, Peter and John have healed a crippled man and some religious people resist him. Say, what are y'all doing? Y'all can't be doing this. Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit once again, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, and then he begins to preach Jesus to them once again. Well, they resist him. They say, man, you can't speak anymore in Jesus' name. Peter says, whether to obey God or you, let, let you judge. We're going to obey God. They meet back in Acts chapter 4 again, and when they meet, they all prayed, and the place where they assembled together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit a third time and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So in just two or three chapters, Peter is listed as being filled with the Holy Spirit three separate times because somebody said, well, I got filled with the Holy Ghost back in 1973. Let me tell you something. The moment I got filled with the Holy Spirit where everything changed, even that moment back then, as good as it was, is still not good enough for today. I need a personal, living, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit can come upon me and fill me over and over again. Now, you've got to understand, the Holy Spirit never leaves me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. Jesus said He would abide with me forever. He would be in me. But when you are a believer in Christ, you can increase your capacity through a relationship with Jesus to be filled with more of the Spirit. There's going to be... A direct corollary between your seeking of the Lord Jesus and being open to the move of the Spirit and how much the Holy Spirit comes upon you to use you in power. And that's just seen over and over again in Scripture. You say, well, I just don't know about that, Clay. Even for, for, for Paul in Acts 9, 17, it says, Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And then a few chapters later, it says, But Elymas the sorcerer withstood the gospel, withstood them, seeking to turn the people away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called with Paul, notice this, once again, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So what I'm saying is, in a moment of time, If you're open and you're seeking the Lord and you're available, the Holy Spirit will fill you at a specific time for a specific purpose to speak to a specific person or people. And so you can get refills of the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, Diet Coke up there at McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? If I drink it all, praise God, I go over, I put a refill. You don't get a refill on something that is permanent. Amen. You don't get a refill on something that is permanent. And what Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit is although He abides in you, you need to be constantly being filled. And the primary purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit is like a nitrous boost in a moment of time so that you will boldly testify to who Jesus is. To your neighbor, to your friend, to your lost family member, the people you ain't talking to Jesus about or looking for an open door to speak the gospel into. He's saying there's a nitrous boost that enables you to speak in a way that you never have before. He says that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So the filling of the Holy Spirit does not result in foolish behavior, but bold prophetic testimony to Jesus. Bold prophetic testimony to Jesus. Now sometimes when we talk about the prophetic, obviously you get a prophetic word, maybe somebody even spoke into your life and they told you something about that was going to take place in your future. But when we talk about the prophetic according to Scripture, broadly we're speaking of something much more 
specific. We're not talking about weird dudes getting up and prophesying Donald Trump getting reelected or anything like that. What we're talking about is according to Scripture, it says that he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What he's saying is more broadly is this, is that there's coming a day where the Spirit's going to be poured out on all people and they're going to be so filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit that they testify to who Jesus is right now in their lives and what he's done. They speak about Jesus and they declare Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying the primary purpose is. Revelation 19.10, it says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's he saying? He's saying that you and I are the mouthpiece of God into all the world. And the Holy Spirit is hovering in areas, but he's waiting on the church to proclaim the word of God into broken hearts so that he can begin to move and bring new life. You, You and I are the mouthpiece of God to the world. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as that nitrous boost to speak His Word. Now the Holy Spirit comes and enables people to function in the gifts of the Spirit. There's far more things that He does, but the primary thing that He does is enable you and empower you to go out on mission and be a bold witness to who Jesus Christ is. It says in Acts 4.31, when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They spoke the Word of God with boldness. So I want to finish with just this this, uh, definition of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the temporary, repeatable empowerment of the Holy Spirit for testifying about Jesus. Temporary, repeatable empowerment of the Holy Spirit for testifying about Jesus. Well, after that moment that I had with God, I got to tell you, He started to take me into the gifts of the Spirit. That's why I believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, I'm crazy enough to believe tongues all the way down to miracles, son. I believe it all. And, but here's the thing. The main reason that we receive the Holy Spirit is to testify about who Jesus Christ is. And I realized this after I first, because here's what happens. Sometimes you get in church services, and again, you get in the mindset that the filling of the Holy Spirit is to have a good church service. Now, you may be filled with the Holy Spirit in a good church service, but if you got really filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to go on the outside of the church service. Somebody amen me. It's going to transform your life and send you on mission out in the world. It's not simply for you to have a good time in a church service. It pushes you out of the doors into mission in the real world. I remember when I had that encounter with God, I got around my buddies, and in the middle of the darkness, these guys, the first time that it ever happened to me, these guys are sitting there in their living room playing video games and smoking dope right in the living room. It seems like a dark spot, but you know what happens? In that moment, I didn't want to talk to them about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit came upon me. And my heart began to pound out of my chest. And I was compelled by the Spirit of God to speak to those men about Jesus. Would I have done it a week before? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have done it. There was something markedly different about my life when I sought God and said, God, fill me with your Spirit. And I'm just going about my regular day-to-day business. But when I sat down in that room and I saw that darkness, I sensed the Holy Spirit hovering. And I began to speak. And guess what? Let me tell you something. I spoke the gospel. And what you'll notice about the Holy Spirit, I remember specifically. I preached, I preached to these guys about what Jesus had done in my life. And I told them about where I was at, what we used to be, and what God did. I said, I'm done with all this stuff. I've repented. That God's broke that sin off of me. They just looked at me like I was half crazy. And one guy finally, when I stopped at her, about 30 minutes, just preaching wide open, I barely knew the Bible at this time and I felt kind of a release from speaking it and he looks at me and he said well man we're saved and I felt the infilling of the Holy Spirit come in me once again it was like you can't let them off that easy Clay (laughs) because I knew these men were not saved what we find in our culture especially is somebody said a prayer when they were six years old went to a Baptist camp or whatever and they say well I'm saved because I said that prayer. And so many people have not given their life to Jesus. They've not surrendered a real relationship with Him. They've not even repented of their sin. They've got no real saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit filled me once again, and I said, yes, but have you ever read in Matthew 24 that if you claim to be His servant, and He returns and finds you, just taking your ease and sleeping and, and eating and drinking with the drunken and smiting His fellow servants like you boys are doing and not living a life, does it say that He will appoint you a place with the hypocrites where there are weeping and gnashing of teeth? It came out of my mouth before I could stop it. And I was like, I wouldn't have selected that Scripture. That would not have been my personal selection. 
I mean, that's horrifying. But man, something hit with those guys. It convicted them. They begged me to begin to pray for them. But listen to this. As far as I know, one of those men did not get saved. But the other one, six years later, gave me a call. And I've told you this story before. But he said, you remember that time when you came in and you, 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 you spoke to us? He said, I never forgot that my whole life. And he said, I went to church finally the other day. He said, I gave my life truly to Jesus. I got saved. I needed to let you know. The point being is it didn't happen right away. They didn't bend over and say, let me say the sinner's prayer with you, brother. But it took root. And six years later, it, it produced something in their heart. God's wanting to bring order to the chaos. And sometimes we need the boldness of the Holy Spirit to overcome the people pleaser in us. Nobody wants to be awkward. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to make people feel weird. Nobody wants to be awkward. That was an awkward situation. I was trembling. They felt awkward. But sometimes you need the boldness of the Holy Spirit to overcome your people pleaser and your awkwardness because souls are at stake. Amen. And we must consider that. And with that in mind, I want to ask you just a few questions as we close here. First of all, where's the Holy Spirit at work asking you to partner? Where is He at work in your life right now asking you to yield something? Where is He asking you to minister? And are you actually open to the Spirit using you to speak His Word boldly in this way? Are you even open to it? Is it something that you say, God, I see this in your Word that you want me to be on your mission? Most people have closed that out. They say, no, I'd rather be a nominal Christian. I'm not really interested in stepping into your mission. And will you be filled with the Spirit to accomplish God's mission? And lastly, where is the Holy Spirit wanting to send you on mission right now? Maybe somebody in your family. But I can tell you, if you desire the Holy Spirit to come in your life, and you pray, just like D.L. Moody, just like the rest of them, like, you may have a different encounter. You may not know how to categorize it, but I'm telling you there is more of God that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. Amen? I want you to bow your head with me here this morning. And I just want us to pray for a minute and be sensitive to what the Spirit's doing because the Spirit of God, like I said, He's at work everywhere. He's convicting people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And you've got to ask yourself, am, am I saved? Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have I responded to the pull of the Holy Spirit in my life? And for some of you, maybe right now is that moment. Maybe right now is the moment that you need to respond to the Lord and you need to confess Jesus as Lord and acknowledge Him as Lord and give Him everything that you are. If that's you right now, just as an act of faith, just me and you and the Lord in here this morning, won't you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to turn my life over to the Lord. I want to give Him everything this morning. I see one hand right here. Anybody else? I see another hand. Anybody else? So right now, for, for the ones that have raised their hand, right now the Lord just wants to, to minister directly to you. And I want everybody else in this room just to pray for them. Because I trust that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your heart. And I just want you to begin to call upon His name. Lord Jesus, we call upon Your name corporately. And God, we confess that we are sinners. And Lord Jesus, we need a Savior. You just pray that right there to Him right where you're at. And so Lord, we confess our sins and we ask You right now to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us in Your blood from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are Lord over heaven and over earth. And Lord, right now we say you are our Lord. We believe that you died on the cross for our sins, that you were raised again from the dead on the third day, and that you will come again to judge the living and the dead. But Lord, we, we, we believe that because you died for us on the cross, you took our place, you took our judgment, and we can be saved. So Holy Spirit, I pray you come upon these women. I, I pray you come upon each one of these, the ones that have raised their hands, the ones that need a deeper relationship with you, Lord, and you give them the ability to respond to you right now in this moment because so many of us, God, we need to be filled with your Holy Spirit to accomplish your mission in our lives right now. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come in power right now to fill each and every one. Lord, to do your work and accomplish your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. Here's what I'm going to ask for you. A lot of times you think a move of the Holy Spirit has to be hyped up and drummed up. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit can move in any setting, in any atmosphere. But what I want you to do is respond. 
whether you stay at your seat and pray, whether you lift your hands in worship or you come around this altar, right now, like D.L. Moody, we need a heart to seek after God to say, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Even for the couple that raise your hands here, if you're, if you're willing to, I would love for you to come forward and let me pray with you this morning. And Other people, I would just start asking, just come around this altar. I believe there's something about responding to the Lord. I believe there's something about crying out and asking Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. So just begin to respond right where you're at. These folks are coming forward right now. Just begin to respond to the Lord right where you're at. I believe the Holy Spirit will move if you'll just respond. Thank you, Lord Jesus.